Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Bunkhouse. This is episode 4, and I'm your host, John. And I'm an active duty Marine, so any opinion expressed on this show is mine, and not of military regulation or policy. I've gotten some really good feedback from some of my listeners out there, so I took those into consideration going forward. So I really hope you guys like the content and the structure of the show. This show is going to be a little bit longer than normal. At the end, we start talking about a subject that's really near and dear to my heart. So if you would, please listen all the way to the end, because I, I can... I have a feeling it's probably going to be the same for the majority of my audience. So I hope you enjoy this one and on to the show. All right, now that the formalities and intros are over, um, I'd like to introduce my next guest um, here for episode four, um, Jack Reedy. We've known each other, I would say, close to 12 years-ish. Something like that. It's probably... Yeah, so pretty pretty close, 12 years almost. Um, if you would go ahead and give a quick introduction, uh, kind of give your background. Yeah, so um, my name is Jack Reading. You can find me on socials at SecIT Guy uh, across most of the platforms, including, unfortunately, TikTok. The, I don't post anything there, though. I just have it for whenever's necessary. Anyway, point being is um, started my IT experience in around 2008-ish, 2000 seven-ish. And I had a lot of trouble getting into IT. Best I could find was retail sales positions. And if you guys remember, that was during the recession era. And every there was hardly any hours for me to work. I needed a step up in life. And I made the decision to, that possibly I'll check into the military and see what they're doing. What ended up happening, though, was the uh, because it was past two o'clock in a, on a Wednesday, the Air Force store was locked and shut. So I went next door to the next office and it was the Marine Corps and I had no idea what the branches were and I was extremely naive. So I said, what are you trying to do? And I said, well, I'm trying to get into, tech, into technology and work with computers. Don't really know what that means, but need to really figure out how to do that. And they said, oh, we got computers. Let me tell you what the differences about the branches are. And I swear to you, within five days, I was at MEPS stepping into the delayed entry program. Um, I don't regret the decision. I, I wouldn't have changed it to a different branch if I could. It was just one of those things where I was a little naive. And I remember saying uh, something, again, speaking to my naivety, I remember saying something when I was with my mother, who I introduced to the recruiter, and so she could talk through some of her questions and concerns. You know, what do, what do the infantry guys need with computers on the front lines anyway? I'm, I'll be fine. So about... About a year later, I was in Afghanistan, uh, finding out exactly what the infantry needed with computers on the front line um, on my first deployment with 1st Battalion, 8th Marines, where I worked with a wonderful group of people, some of the best in the world. Um, I would consider them to be excellent leaders that I have since compared everyone to in my professional life. Um, that's where, I, you know, we met and it was, you know, me and me and John, which hey, that actually, that sounds metallic to me because I'm so used to calling you Cole. Um, <laughs> but me and John, uh, you know, we met there. Um, he was my data chief at the time. And I was just an annoying pain in his ass. Yeah, uh, you were. <laughs> I really was. I, I will even admit it. I was an annoying pain in his ass that I would call vivacious about knowledge and technical skills. Because uh, I wanted to learn everything and I wanted to do everything, and then on top of that, though, I was not always the best marine. I would I, I would uh, 
frequently forget stuff or be late for stuff or sleep through stuff because I was definitely about the technology. Um, but he put up with me enough to where I, I got to keep my job and, you know, move on to another unit and <laughs> not get kicked out. And uh, I ended up going up to Mar 4 Cyber Command or Mar 4 um, Marine Forces Cyber Command that worked under U.S. Cyber Command. Um, and the way, the way that conversation went pretty quick was, uh, I sat down with the monitor. If you guys aren't familiar with Marine Corps monitors, they, uh, they can be tough. Uh, and that's putting it mildly. Basically oh, yeah. it's, it usually the request goes East coast, West coast overseas, and you get to choose and they will place you where they want you. However, I came to him as a Sergeant after been there about four and a half years, I had done two tours to Afghanistan, total of 14 months. I was just finished up a divorce, though he didn't know that part. And he basically said, I'm feeling generous today and you've done the you've done it. What do you want to go and do? And I actually had a command in mind and I said, I want to be part of the new cyber protection teams that are starting up. So when I said that, I didn't know what I was getting into. I just heard that that was the new hotness from, you know, the Marine Corps times. I, I, I there is definitely a theme going on here where I just kind of stumbled my way in. But, you know, I at least kind of knew where I wanted to head. So I headed towards cyber protection teams. I sat on, at the time, it was called the McNosk. Now it's called uh, McCog. But I sat on the instant response desk for a year, approximately. And I learned all about, uh, you, you know, tier one, tier two, instant response processes in a group that had 100,000 systems ballpark globally. You know, a lot of experience there. A lot of frustration, too. I mean, if you've ever worked for the federal government, you'll understand that. And um, being that close to, you know, the stars, you, you tend to get uh, really frustrated really quick. Um, and it was a big culture shock for me because I went from what I would call near as close as you can get to the tip of the spear without being a radio operator. Um, you know, as a data guy, I was assigned directly to a line company. And on the way to fix computers, I was being shot at while I was in, you know, Matt Visa or MRAPS. It, and then I went from that to all the way at the back end. Some of my mission sets included being at the Pentagon for a couple months. They included going to Fort Meade. I was eligible for an NSA badge at a time and definitely went through that training pipeline. So, and for those that aren't aware, you know, U.S. Cybercom is a subset of NSA with the same chairperson over top. That's on Wikipedia. I'm not dropping any truth, you know, new <laughs> knowledge bombs there. Um, but working in that field and coming up, from the infantry into the land of the contractors, the GSs, and, you know, the, with this infantry type of mentality, A, they liked, seemed to like it and it was refreshing because I got stuff done. B, I was told to calm down multiple times because it wasn't appropriate to yell at people like that. Um, I made my mind up pretty quickly. I realized that I had made a, a mistake. And while I really do love cybersecurity, I'd say the one mistake that I made was I went into a career field that would prohibit me from ever going and visiting the infantry ever again. That was my one regret of my career decision was because I, I lost the camaraderie. I lost the, the best example of leadership that ever exists. And I went, I became a staff sergeant within six and a half years in a unit that only had sergeants and up. There was no, I was no longer in charge of people. I was no longer in charge of, I mean, I was in charge of people, but I was in charge of like one or two people, occasionally six or seven. But even then it, I, I lost that, that, you know, eye glow of the junior 
individual that just didn't understand it, didn't know. And then I got to teach or mentor, which was, you know, it was a big loss for me. Plus I was hitting, getting close to 30, um, sitting at a desk all day, certainly wasn't helping my waistline or height and weight standards. And I, my knees and my back were also getting sore to the point where I had a lot of trouble completing PFTs and CFTs and would have to rerun them several times. And so it just, it became uh, this combination of, I don't see the career progression. I don't see my physical capability keeping up with it or my body type. Um, so I'm taking the off ramp. So I, I left it about nine years. And then I did, uh, did a contracting gig with the Marine Corps while I was trying to find something a little more permanent, easy slide in. I already had the, I literally went and worked four desks down from where I was already working as a Marine. I walked over my first day. I grabbed my chair that I had previously and switched them around so I could keep my ergonomic settings. Like it was such an easy transition to my first rollout. I, I, I it, Naveed was actually the one I talked to. I, I talked to, um, if you guys are unfamiliar, Naveed is a friend of ours that used to work in C4 and dude is amazing. Awesome guy. And, um, but I, he, he helped introduce me and, you know, using professional networks, he's the one who helped introduce me to the contract manager. And there was an opportunity there that I, I took with being, and what was nice is the contract was ending. And so they were up for recompete. So nobody would touch this job. I knew I was transitioning. I didn't care if I was fired cause I was trying to find another role. So I took the job and was like, look, I will be button seat for you while I try and find something else. And everyone was on board. They were like, yeah, we can do that for you. And that, that works for everyone. It's win-win all the way around. And then basically, though, what happened was, is I had been porting for multiple job positions in New York, and it just, it did not work. And it got to a point to the one that I was really hoping for that they took my resume and they created a job role for me. I didn't land it because I was too expensive for them. For what I knew was what I, what I was worthwhile. Um, and I said, screw it. I packed everything up. I left Virginia. I went and moved in with family to New York. And then I proceeded to be unemployed for six weeks, almost two months. And during TAPS, I had set up a LinkedIn profile. And on that LinkedIn profile, I put a lot of effort into making sure that it was fully filled out, network connected with a bunch of people. Um, I'll talk to some of the pitfalls there in a second. But with that, I got a call from that LinkedIn profile from a recruiter and they needed a short fill um, and they needed an instant response. Somebody who could fill in for the director of instant response while they were gone. I had done, yeah, I'd done operations. I'd done the Marine Corps things. I showed up for the interview, which was the next day in Manhattan off of uh, Madison and 23rd. And I don't mind saying the building name because when I say the company, you can just look it up. Um, and I show up in a three-piece suit and the you know, contract recruiter looking at me goes, yeah, you're overdressed for this. And I went, wow, really? Okay. Like three-piece pinstripe white with a red tie suit. You know, I got my most expensive watch on. I, you know, like I'm a million bucks, shaved, shirt stays, everything, everything the Marine Corps taught me. He goes, you are overdressed for this. You are, you are probably one of the most dressed up people in this building right now. I went, what? I just passed Credit Swiss Bank. He goes, no, you'll see. We go upstairs and he was 100% right. See, my, my job interview is for a place called Sony Music, which is, you know, it, it is a branch of Sony Corporate. And I, they needed, what had happened was, is they kept a very small but um, amazing, highly capable team. They were running in 60 different countries off of an, an approximate 14-person security team. 
that that's 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 amazing yeah that's no, that's, I, that's not even really to think about like as much, as much work as that would be for a small team that's that's amazing yeah. It, it, it now we had third party providers that we used. We had MSSPs that we used for workloads and mass workloads and things like that. But they they showed me what you know, um, what is it, high speed low drag looks like <laughs> from a technical operations perspective. And I touched so many different technologies. I was both um, instant response, senior instant response analyst because I do malware analysis and everything else. I was then also information security engineer as I would do all the back in engineering for our new cloud initiatives and pushes. And then I was even over on the side of cyber intelligence analysts where I was bringing in their intelligence feeds. And But the name of the game was automation. So you only have to do the job once. Yeah. And I, I loved that workplace. And I had so much hands-on with so many different types of technology and business practices. And it was me, then it went to my boss, and then it went to the chief information security officer. It was such a, and I would just walk into the chief information security officer's door of Sony music whenever she had an, whenever she, you know, and she would, or she would wave me in, Hey, can you come see me? And we would just have conversations. Sometimes it was about like what we're setting our back patio up for the summer. Like, and other times it was all about, you know, Hey, explain to me, you've, you just found like what appears to be 10 related compromised hosts, explain all that to me. And that's a total exaggeration. I'm just giving like throwing something out there point being though is that you know it, it would it would be those types of conversations like hey how are these related are they related do i need to be worried where can we invest and, and some of that too I, I even forgot about the investment stuff they would hand me tool sets hey we need to evaluate this we need to because we want to implement it on a global scale so i was also part of the testing procedures and everything else like that it was Oh, I got to touch so many things, but I had an opportunity pop up here where I currently work as the director of cybersecurity content for INE um, through some of my volunteer work on the side where I, uh, on a channel called cyber insecurity, I uh, basically, my goal is to try and help those that are coming not only out from a veteran status, but also into the field from, if you want to go from dishwasher to SOC level one analyst, I want to help you. I want to, you know, mentor, resume review, provide training for, suggest training for. So with that, I, um, I found a channel called Cyber Insecurity. And I was one of the early adapters where I just raised my hand. I was like, whatever you need, I'll help you out, man. Uh, a couple months later, he started a new role with INE and a positioning came open that I applied for. And, you know, the conversation started there. And with that, I have, you know, the experience between the Marine Corps with the operations, the infantry, the working for the, you know, consulting type of work I did with the CPT, and then bouncing into a massive enterprise environment where I was in charge of all these different projects on a global scale. Like it just seemed to be this beautiful mix match of experience that I really feel like I'm, I'm, um, I really feel like this job was almost made for me where I'm, I'm, cause I have a lot of experts that, are building great content to help teach the next generation of, you know, practitioners. And I'm just directing the, the pattern. I'm getting, I'm making sure they're able to do their job while I'm handling all the, you know, headspace of marketing sales, uh, customers or whatever else, as well as I'm, I'm putting my toe into instruction too. So I still get to instruct, but I do so, you know, on other things. So I think the opportunities that I have had have been, I have stumbled into a lot of them. 
I, I'm, I at no point will suggest that anybody at any point when you start out can know where they're going to go. Right. Um, but I'm trying to also help break down some of the barriers. So if you decide to make a career change, it's, uh, it's a little easier. That's awesome, man. Like, so I remember when we were both at one, eight, Oh, corporal mm-hmm. E four Reedy. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you got promoted to Sergeant and, I remember when you made that transition from being or the the data mariner, as some people may know, as like a sysadmin, if you would, mm-hmm. over to the cybersecurity side um, with the whole 0689 transition, man. And like when you went to Mar4 Cyber, I, mean, I remember one of the biggest things that you, you did for us prior to that transition was helping shape policies and procedures. That was one of the things you probably left outside of all the all the all the actions you did while on deployment. Um, and the hard work there and stuff, but help, helping shape that, um, putting your expertise and in, in, in knowing your craft um, and adding extreme value to those products, man, like that's, that's one thing I, I will probably remember always from you, man, is just how much you have a passion for what, what you do and, and always want to learn more and always want to know more um, and stuff like that. Um, I appreciate <clears throat> that. Thanks. Yeah, man. I remember, um, one eight was responsible for my first cybersecurity event that I had to investigate. I remember that. <laughs> it was it was insane. There was um, accidentally one of our um, they just one group cleared out a whole bunch of files from you know what they thought were just some old uh, drawers, desk drawers, and didn't realize that there was you know PII on those files, and they just threw it into a garbage bin and and some you know we got a. Um, luckily we had somebody from the comm shop happen to see it look at it and go this is important stuff that needs to be shredded bring it to us and then i spent the next hell it was like 12 hours or something tearing over each piece and documenting each piece of pii that was found on those couple hundred pieces of paper yeah because they had to collect everybody's like whose information was on there so they could actually Mm -hmm. inform them hey look this is what happened blah 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 to gear Um, loss and things like that Yeah. yeah Yeah, because I mean, you got to think too, like then the whole information security and like PII thing was still fairly new. It was. At least it in was. the Marine Corps, it was It was pretty fairly, it was fairly new then too. So mm-hmm. the whole training piece wasn't really what it, definitely not what it should have been, right? It's yeah. definitely come, it's, it's come a long ways. I will say that it has come a long ways. Well, um, I mean, if you think about it realistically, that was Snowden had happened only three oh, years previous. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, so that's, that's how long ago we're talking to, like, no, yeah, no, absolutely. Right. Like, and then, cause again, we like, again, still even three years later, it still wasn't on everybody's mind at the, at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, um, I would definitely say too, um, you say you, you're trying to get into teaching some as well. And I will say that was probably the best career move that I made hands mm-hmm. down was going to the schoolhouse and, and yeah. teaching young Marines as they come into our field. Um, I, I said it on one of my previous episodes, like I thought I knew a lot of stuff going into there. So I thought I was going to be extremely successful going into it. Um, but what I quickly realized is I had great professionals like you to give me the success that I had had up to that point, hands down. I appreciate that. Thank um, you. So I would definitely say teaching, it it, sh- it sheds a new light on it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it allows you to truly bring out your passion in the craft and and, and, and just seeing from the beginning when you take somebody who really doesn't know anything about that technology or that subject and throughout that cohort or that course, whatever you want to call it, 
And at the end, when you all of a sudden you see the light bulb go off and they're like, oh, my goodness, I, I completely understand now. Right. So, yeah, mm-hmm. no, that that's probably one of, one of the best parts of my career so far to date is is is, is that piece. So I can definitely yeah. understand the whole the whole teaching part for sure. And so one of the pieces that I'm going to enjoy with, with you, too, is when you leave the military service and realize how valuable this skill set is. Yeah, to the, I'm excited. To the water. Oh, I uh, let me know. Hit me up. You know, we'll talk yeah. about it. We'll even talk negotiating skills and things like that for salary. Like, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll talk, man, because, yeah, that's the part that I also because. Love the military, love the Marine Corps. I'm, I'm really you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for my time and my service there, but there is a constant lie that you get because there is a recruitment standard that is there. And that is that your security clearance is this, and it's this gold bar thing. Yep. And I can tell you having forsaken my TS, it's not that it's, it, isn't that great? It, you know, cyber secrets. It's not, it's, it, it really isn't because it locks you into a federal position, yep. which you know, it, that can be a whole heck of a, you know, an issue. It also, ha- it comes with so many requirements that are latched to it. You know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah. As far I, as, yeah. yeah. So that, that's one of those things where it, I, 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 I see that when people are transitioning out a lot where they all of a sudden they go, wait a minute. You mean I can also get health care? I can have some form of security with a 401k. I can do these things and it doesn't require that I keep up with the standards of, you know, security clearance with security requirements. I don't, I can work from home. I don't have to go into a, you know, a three lock vault and not see the sun for days on end. Right. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I definitely made sure that I kept in the back of my mind that my security clearance is never going to drive the opportunity. There right. You go. I, that's one thing I definitely came, like came to, came to a, a kind of a decision point on my own. I was like, I always said, especially the closer it's starting to get now for me, yeah. Um, I'm, I definitely do not want my security clearance to be a driving factor on what my next opportunity is going to be, because it may not be the right opportunity. I, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, it may or may not. Right. But it, but there's no guarantee that it's going to be. So I, I, and, and if you do stay focused on that being the requirement, you close mm-hmm. so many other doors that can later on open things that you couldn't even imagine. So I, I'd, I'd, I would fully agree with that, too. And one of the things I, I've noticed too with some, cause I've, I've mentored more than a couple veterans as they're coming out, both from my experience from, you know, Hey, we work together in this unit, um, you know, or a roundabout experience like, Oh, I used to live in Lejeune. Oh, cool. So did I, uh, right. You know, and, and talking with the, you know, the individuals and stuff, it's just, I, again, if, if you want to do federal service, do federal service, that's fine. Just make sure that you're not, feeling like you're cornered into these things. And part of the, part of the accommodations is resume reviews. Cause I've seen 12 page resumes hit my desk and I'm like, turns out like legitimately, this is a real story. They were looking for somebody to replace me as I was leaving out from Sony. I had a resume hit my desk because, and my boss asked me to look at it. Normally he would review them himself, but my boss asked me to look, look at it because it had so many military acronyms in there. He couldn't keep up yeah. and he needed, he needed a review of somebody that, um, that knew what this person was saying. And it was something like 10 or 12 pages thick. Turns out it was a friend of mine that I had just like served with two or three years ago. He had gotten out doing the contractor cycle and he had just had this resume that was just so filled 
with military jargon and you know uh, it was lacking a lot of context in there for layman's and he was it was being you know passed around in the new york circles of all places because yeah work from home job so he could be in virginia and also still work for a new york company and he liked that idea and uh i called him up i'm like dude what up what is this <laughs> you know poke fun at him a little bit and um but yeah, he ended up he ended up landing the job with, you know, because I gave him a full recommendation there. And I was like, if you want me, gesture at all this, uh, <laughs> this guy is going to be your closest fit for a short time frame that you guys have. I, I couldn't have asked for anybody better, actually, as an available person, because he was on the same operations I was on the yeah. same team. We had a lot of the doing, same experiences. Exactly. I was doing threat hunting. He was doing uh, defensive engineering. That's so almost the exact same type of skill set. That's awesome. So what would you say, since now we kind of talked about where you're at now and kind of what your experiences have been, what would you say have you taken probably the most from your military experiences that have gotten you to where you are today? Um, leadership. I would, if I had to put my finger on one, I would say it was leadership skills and uh, two stories from that as to what drives me as a leader today. One is, and I think you remember this because it was at 1-8. Uh, the first was, I used to have a nickname called The Boss when I was at 1-8 uh, because in, with my peers, with my peers, I had this really dumb notion that if we actually did all the work, we would go home early. Um, and I carried, I carried that for ages. And I would do, like, I would legitimately get handed off what the task and the assignments were that we were responsible for for the day. And I would write everything down in a book. And then I'd just check, check, check. And I'd look around at the group and be like, okay who's doing this and who's doing that and what do you want to do which one do you want to do and i was just like being a a secretary and b at the same time like project managing the stuff but it was annoying as hell for my peers and i don't even blame them um i, I don't i don't blame them and i was a little over aggressive with it too but with that though came a mass amount of ridicule from a friend of mine now friend of mine called taz or kavasic and um and I know I'm dropping names here, but they'll not only cooperate, but probably be like, oh, yeah, he's a complete, you know, he's, he is he is a complete <laughs> absolutely <laughs> 1000 uh, percent. Or he was at least because what happened was um, we were coming back from our or we were going into our second deployment and um, Taz for ages like years at this point he had constantly just been the driver behind making fun of me the name the boss the just this you know this mindset of deride you know deriding me basically and just riding my ass because i am trying to do stuff but it could have been done in a different way and i didn't realize it at the time and x y and z what happened was is everybody that was slated to go if you guys are unfamiliar with marine corps deployment style we have avon main body rear body when you're slated to go on to you know these big pushes out to back then it was afghanistan but also iraq avon being the first people to go to afghanistan and they can preclude the rest of the group by up to six weeks sometimes it it, it can't like it can be a very long duration that you're there by yourself 
before somebody else shows up and you're just this little group that is, and your entire purpose there is to basically get orientated on the actual day-to-day operations and then pass along what is necessary to maintain those operations and have the shortest amount of downtime as possible as the primary group of people rotate in and out of these, you know, operational areas. Having said that, somebody dropped and we needed to go, we needed somebody to go on Avon. And I looked around at the group. I looked around at at the, the group of people that was there. I was not sitting pretty with my ex at the time. And I had very little in the way of, you know, qualms about being sent early, but that pushed up my deployment about something like four or five weeks. I mean, you remember you were there for this. Yeah, no. So um, to add into that, I was the one that actually dropped off because my son was getting ready to be born. And, was. and our comm chief, being a great leader that he was, had yep. like who has probably had influences on me and you both greatly, mm-hmm. he allowed me to, he, he's the one that pulled me off and allowed me to go main body because so I could be home for my son's birth. But there was there was that, but then there was also Kovo too. Kovo also oh, had yeah. he had his new son that had just been born, yep. and he Again, was slated goes to back go, to leadership. Yep, and right, he was like, slated to go to Avon yep. on that group, and I remember that very specifically for two reasons. One, he showed up with his brand new baby to oh, our going away. Yeah, I do remember that. He yep. showed up, brand new baby going away, and two, he said thank you to me. And I never got, I'm not going to say I never got made fun of again, but he definitely turned down <laughs> when I was, when I was being difficult, he turned down the, you know, the snide comments or the commentary or whatever else. And it was a noticeable change in the attitude. And I felt like that was the transfer of respect there. Yeah. So with that, I learned very quickly to a take care of those that you can and, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll help with the mission. It'll Absolutely. be you know, it'll, it'll be, um, you won't have to worry again. Right. And the second one that also comes from one eight, but this is right before your time was, uh, when I was on my first deployment and I was under, uh, uh, now major John F Campbell. And this actually yep. goes into something else too. Um, who major Campbell eventually became our XO standing, standing XO while I believe he was a captain at the time. Um, and still served an entire deployment as the XO as a captain. Man, just, just man drips, man drips of leadership energy. Just, yes. you know, yep. that and smile the entire time. Excellent, excellent guy. And as a Lance Corporal, first deployment, I think I've been in the Marine Corps 10 months at this point, like in total, uh, or maybe a year. No, no, that's what it was. I was in the fleet for a total of nine months. That's it. Because when I got to the Marine Corps, I was only in the fleet for about six months and we were in Afghanistan. About three months into our deployment, he asked me, so when are you going to re-enlist? And I was like, I don't know, in three years, I guess, you know, and he's like, oh, you're, you're like, this is your fir-. I'm like, this is my first anything, man. I'm like, I'm just trying to do my best. He's like, OK, after that. I would constantly be, he, he, for some reason knew how to destroy every CD drive I ever gave him. So I was constantly fixing his computer because he had to do Intel slides and he just wore out the CD drives in a dusty environment. So I was constantly having to tinker and and makes it, make his stuff work. Um, But point being is I will never forget the day that our primary generator, while we were on operations uh, through a piston 
through the wall of the generator. Like it just, a piston shot out and it was spraying oil everywhere. And we didn't know how to deal with this. Now, from what I understand, um, Major Campbell has experience in shipyards previously or around that type of thing. He was helping us. He was elbow deep in the grease we obviously aren't going to fix a piston throw, right? We're not fixing that, but he was, he was elbow deep in helping to shut the thing off, get it safe, get backup generators moved over everything else. Normally in a lot of times what you'll see is officers that go, okay, first sergeant, you got this or okay, gunny, you got this for a company. And then the company's the one that's, you know, they're, they're, they're basically they're rolling the tires. They're getting the guys together. They're getting the fire. no, not only was uh, Major Campbell there in it with me as a calm guy, there were multiple times where he showed me appreciation for above and beyond uh, what I was doing um, that he noticed. He, he definitely didn't notice it because uh, I was in the COC constantly, you know, working in some way, shape or form. And even just the, uh, the cap capacity to recognize from as a leader to say, thank you. Just that, just thank you. I remember the work that he put in. I remember being in the COC, listening to radio calls as he's calling for fire because he's in the firefight too on top of a rooftop with a radio operator. Being involved in there and present as a leader and not afraid to get your hands dirty was the second leadership meeting. Meant like major lesson I had. And it goes even further. Happenstance, he was at the Marine Corps University on Quantico during my going away. And about a day or two before my going away, I saw him in the gal randomly because I was just looking back on stuff, trying to grab emails for people. And I thought about him and I looked him up. I'm like, this isn't the same John Campbell, is it? Like I just <laughs> emailed this random major. I'm like, this isn't the same John Campbell, is it? If so, you know, it's wonderful to see that you're still around. You're still kicking it and you're doing it. And I hope good things for you. I'm getting out soon, but you know, I'm in Quantico if you ever want to hit up. He messaged me. Within a day, we had lunch meeting together and we had a three hour lunch where we just talked over what had changed, where the career was going, what, you know, Afghanistan meant for us, what we did. Um, I had had my touch of PTSD and I shared it with him. And he's like, no, I, you know, it was, um, I understand and I get it. And, you know, it, it's hard. And we had a, you know, a, a decent conversation on that too, both having been there at the same time and experiencing the events. And um, with that, he, Showed up at my going away party a couple of days later, had a beer with me, had a shot and, you know, said, all right, I got to go. You have a good time because it very quickly got out, out of hand and escalated because I mean, <laughs> why wouldn't it? It's me. Um, and, but super respect, you know, just amazing individual. And that that is the level of leadership that I have seen presented in, you know, in the infantry and, you know, a bunch of other individual leaders that I can uh, shout out as well as mentors and mentees in there. And that's but those are the two primary lessons that I learned that were um, super beneficial. And I, again, I was so disappointed whenever I realized that I'd never be a part of that type of organization again uh, when I made that lateral move, but don't regret it. Just, you know, miss it. No, I, I, I know what you mean, man. Um, when I, when we, when I first picked up stats on, we were all at six Marine regiment headquarters because the battalion was on UDP yep. and I had orders to Okinawa and so going over there and then where I went to Anoki, their mentality was completely different. 
I'm glad I went because it was a great experience, right? I'm going to be completely honest. Like it, it helped settle me down as a leader. Yeah. Right. Like honestly, because they didn't have that same mentality that we had grown up with, with going on combat deployments and getting ready for, for deployments. Right. And, and so when I got there, I was known as the data stats aren't that was always yelling. <laughs> because, <laughs> like, like seriously, everybody's like, Hey, who's that over in data yelling? Cause that was just not the normal thing. Right. But again, yeah. it was, it was fairly normal from where we came from at that time in the Marine Extremely. God, we, we were a little ridiculous again to, to be bluntly honest and very crystal clear here. We never put hands on each other. Oh, we never, absolutely not. I, um, I think really more what it was, it was just what, people like you people use it as a buzzword today is like um obedience to orders right like immediate obedience obedience to orders yeah but it was a real thing then because like lives were at stake right yeah very but much I mean, so. I mean, and again i mentioned that on um my initial podcast kind of telling about myself a little bit is like being in in those types of places like you got to be as close to perfect with your craft as possible because people's lives very really depend so. on it to um to that effect i actually remember one time when they were in the midst of a nine line and the zipper connection on this was down when I was at Bravo company, but they were in the midst of a nine line while I was in the COC, um, which for those of you that don't know, or might not be as experienced with that, that means somebody's down, somebody's wounded. In our case, it was very frequently an amputation that had occurred, uh, some form of blast. Casualty evacuation, casualty yeah. evacuations. Casu- casual, casualty evacuation was going on, but they, they generally didn't spin that up unless it was life or death situation. So time was an extreme factor. Now, in a combat operations center, uh, at least when we were there, the primary modes of communication were data or information being re- relayed over what we called Green Gear Radio verbally from the people on the ground to what you would think of like a uh, you know nine one one operator that was sitting in a combat operations center, and they would type it in, and the the text would then go up to the um, the pilots in route. So they understood the area and where to land, where to pick up people, what the issues were. So the, you know, emergency team could be ready to, you know, carterize rooms or whatever they had to do, you know, stabilize the patient. The CAT5 cable came undone on the data transfer device, the computer for the operator. So they were having to go to the backup, which backup is to take what you're hearing on one radio and scream it into another radio. And they were starting to have to roll up the backup. I re-tipped a cable in under a minute. I, I, I took a cat five. I had crimpers right there. I stripped splice leveled threw on a new cable, tipped it, crimped it, jumped it back in. We had data back up and running. So in total, 120 second delay on a literal life or death situation, right? That, and that's where, that's the type of practice that we're talking about that we used to do. And that's why we were so intense on each other was a literal life or death scenario based on communications equipment question for you so how many times working up to that deployment did you just say no that's not right do it again nope do it again nope do for, it again but every time the, it was right but every time it was right oh yeah there was <laughs> yeah we didn't we didn't yeah we didn't uh we, we did not um yeah it, it's it's not that it wasn't right it was just that it wasn't smooth right right but it was smooth, so, smooth as fast right Exactly. Slow and that smooth, smooth, and that, smooth is fast. And that smooth fast becomes muscle memory. Exactly. And that's what takes well, over in, in stress. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I ran drills on Cisco equipment for the junior Marines, or mm-hmm. I would intentionally, I would stay up with them over 24 hours. And then we would, I would have them reconfigure 
you know, small business size networks uh, from scratch, you know, and, you know, I didn't, I, we not only wanted muscle memory, we wanted muscle memory through exhaustion. Oh yeah. Because at some point you're going to be exhausted when it really matters, right? When, exactly. when you need that muscle memory to really kick in, it's, yeah. you're always going to be exhausted mentally, physically, emotionally yeah. when you really truly need it to happen. And we wanted it to be second nature for these guys. So that way they yep. could do first nature being stay alive, second nature, your job. Yep. And then there, you know, that way they had a chance you know, everyone, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't want them to be the reason that somebody died. Right. Yep. So we, we yep. trained them, trained them very hard. Yeah. I would definitely say that shapes people's like complete character and personality moving forward with the rest of their lives. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like that's completely shaped of like the passion that I have for what we do. And, and that's what helped me, I think, becoming even a better instructor. Right. It's like you say, like you love to teach. You love to see the people learn because it matters. Right. Like it matters if they know it or if they don't know it. And kind of going back to the whole like leadership pieces and and now being a restricted officer um, now, no longer enlisted. I'm I'm now a restricted officer. Like I always make sure that I never forget where I came from. Right. Mm -hmm. Like and that's and I'm and even as I transition into the civilian sector, just like you have, right? Like as, as you transition to each chapter of your life, you can never forget where you came from. Yeah. Right. Because everything up to that point has gotten to you, gotten you to where you are. Yes. Right. Um, yeah. But I think, and again, too, I think that one of the things I had to learn leaving that environment was, and the, and this came, you know, and this came with my own, you know, counseling too, um, both, from mentorship, as well as, you know, from, from help with the doctors was it doesn't, it's not always that intense. It doesn't always have to be life or death, you know, and right. that, that was one that remember where you're from, but also realize where you're at too, yeah. you know? Um, and I, I think it got to a point, my, it got to a point to where you almost never heard me raise my voice when, as a, cause I also, you know, I, I hit staff sergeant eventually and, and I, uh, while I didn't have a big, when I, when, when I say I wasn't in charge of people, I should say that I wasn't in charge of that many people. Cause comparatively for those that might not be experienced with it, when you're in the infantry and you're a staff, non-commissioned officer, you are generally in charge of at minimum 20 people at yeah. minimum with a couple exceptions here and a couple exceptions there. Uh, administrative shop is one I could think of. Intel shop is another one I can think of yeah. off the top, but even then, over 10, really easy. That's a, that's an easy win. Over 10. Um, and gunnery sergeants are generally in charge of a couple, almost 100, at least. Again, at least a, 100 gunnery sergeant. On the teams that I was on, we had one mass sergeant. We had five gunnery sergeants. Each of those had a staff sergeant underneath them. And each of those had another two sergeants and then one corporal. We had GSR. The civilians that sat with us were all GS-13s. Like that was entry level GS 13 job was right there. Like our teams were, our teams were insanely stacked. If you consider rank to be a factor, our team captain, keep in mind a team is 40 people ballpark ish. Our team, our team lead was a captain and he had both a mass start and a GS uh, 13. I actually, I think the GS 12s were on the, the desk and then GS 13 was our, operations lead for continuity's sake um but yeah it's just it's the structure that is just this 
insane amount of, and then our, our CEO was a full bird. Our, the, the one directly above our CEO was a two-star general, General Reynolds, while I was there, who then became the three-star general, most uh, currently the um, highest ranking you know, female in the Marine Corps. I believe she's still serving anyway. Last I heard, I think she was in charge. He just of, retired. He just retired. Did she? Oh, I missed yep. that. I missed that. Yep. But yeah, she um, she was in charge of the communications, like the entirety of the, the communications for the Marine Corps. It was, it's insane. It's, you know, that's how close to the top we were. And bringing all that fire <laughs> into that small team structure yeah. didn't work. <laughs> Did not oh, yeah. work. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. That, yeah. Again, I could, we could tell stories all day about stuff like that. Like, Oh, yeah. Same thing. You out of all the technologies, all the subjects that you have worked with or currently work with, what would you say is your favorite thing to do or to work on or work with? Ooh, that one's hard. I know, right? Yeah, I have I have trouble one. answering that one myself sometimes. Yeah, that one is hard. What is my favorite thing to do or work with? Um as far as hands on the keyboard and work, I really do enjoy a good Splunk instance that is in a really well configured and structured way. When you, uh, so it's called the common information model or SIM um, or common, infa- common information model framework. So SIF, I think it is. Basically what it is, is as you pull in data, um, it can be structured in a way to where it is the same regardless of technology piece. So your server, be it Windows or Linux versus your firewall versus your, um, let's say your endpoint computer, all ingested into a into Splunk utilizing the common information model or framework. Again, I can't remember what it is. When indexed, the field source IP will be the exact same across all of them. So when you search for a very specific IP address and you want to know any logs that involve that source IP address, You'll see it from firewalls. You'll see it from your, you know, um, endpoint devices. You'll see it from even your Active Directory as to where people were logging in from. So when you have something that that is that is that well, you know, rank and file in line across a multitude of devices, it simplifies investigations from both an engineering and instant response perspective, where you can identify a multitude of events that have occurred across the network and they all all have to be synced up as far as time goes but still it is it, it is beautiful when you see it actually work and work well it is beautiful man and that is that is probably my favorite thing because being able to take information and processes and centralize it standardize it and make it usable workable and able to reproduce displays dashboards of any point of your um, environment it that's just that's you know chef's kiss because it is so pertinent to have transparency in an enterprise environment and usually the main reason why it's not done is because somebody doesn't have extreme ownership of that process right it's possible people buy sims all the time but they're usually poorly configured um, poorly implemented there's no one forcibly telling, you know, hey, you must register and send your stuff in this format to this place. I was lucky to be part of an organization that did that. And it was just, it was glorious. Yeah, when, when things are structured and, and put into place a, a certain way or the right way, if you would, mm-hmm. um, 
I would definitely say it makes things much easier when you got to search for something like you said, like the investigation side of it. Um, I've, I've had the opportunity to work with closely with um, some of our defensive cyber operations guys um, Mm -hmm. with, with my, with my current position. Um, And I've, I've had the pleasure of working with Splunk myself also with those guys and, and going through logs and I had to sift through individual logs from individual end endpoints Yep. And then correlate them myself. No, I'd be there for years on years on years. Yep. Right. Um, but no, I, I would definitely say like, I also, I do too. I like the investigation side of it too. Like, Hey, this doesn't look correct. This is, looks a little anomalous based off of whatever baseline we have for the environment. Mm-hmm. Hey, is this, is this right? Cause it, sometimes they'll come to me because they see something right. Or I'll go to them because I may see something on the endpoint side and ask them if they can see it somewhere else. So yeah, no, that that definitely um it's 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 like cat and mouse or like a puzzle, even right. Sometimes yeah. Yeah, and for and for your audience members that might not be as aware, because you know, a lot of a lot of veterans are just trying to get into cyber, not quite to give you guys some context. It's like uh back in the day whenever you search card catalog files in a library. Ooh, yeah. And being able, so imagine instead of just being able to know where the book is within that library, being able to understand what was said on page 256 of the specific book within the specific library verse, and you know where to go find that exact quote and phrase versus just a big pile of books in the middle of the floor. And you kind of know what you're looking for, but you're having to sort through and find. Uh, no, that's nonfiction. No, there. Oh, there's biology. Cool. Now, is this the book? <laughs> no, you know what I mean. Like you, you, yep. and having to do that process manually. Yeah, and and then also knowing where they got references for that book. Exactly, and right where, because... where exactly <laughs> it, it 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 is this it is this amazing organizational structure that and this is so nerdy. It's but it is an amazing organizational structure that moves your information requirements light years ahead. Oh, yeah, because it, you know, doing it manually, you can get through one, maybe two investigations in a day. Yeah, you add automation to something that's well structured like that, and I'm able to, you know, close twenty in a day. Yeah, because it, it speeds up decision points. Yeah, it's it's a it's a ten x you know ten yeah. x volumizer for for your capability and your operations. So let's 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 kind of switch gears in. So mm-hmm. talking about hands on keyboard, what about? not hands-on keyboard, right? So maybe not necessarily the technical execution of doing things. Um, is there, is there anything that's non-technical? Non-technical. Um, or non-action oriented, I should say, execution oriented. Yeah, execution oriented. Um, do I have any favorite tools or, mm, that one's, that one is tough. Let me think. It. I would say, I would say that the thing that comes to mind would probably be, and this is really boring, um, Gantt chart. <laughs> this, is, this, is so, this is so boring, I know. But a Gantt chart, being able to see and, you know, take a project, break it down and plan out when and where and how it's going to execute. You know, it's like a uh, to-do list on crack. And I, you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's an excellent tool for communication because once I make one, everyone else understands what, when, and where they have to get involved. Not just the people that are on my team, but the other ones that are waiting for process input and output flows. So yeah, from a management perspective, you know, Gamps chart, but if I went back to like military days, good old operations board, man, give me that, 
give me those yellow canaries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have my have my dry erase board up there. Get some electrical mm-hmm. tape. Get my block set up. Okay, this is what I need to do now. This is next, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I, you know. I, I mean, I, I went into so in a CPTs. sense that's a Gantt chart. In a sense, that's a Gantt chart, right? It's project it is. management. Like it's a Gantt chart in a sense. It is. I when I was in the CPTs, man, they I blew their mind because. I showed up, luckily Amazon became a thing because it wasn't when we were deploying, but <laughs> remember, so for those that don't know, we used to take electrical tape, we would stack up three quarters, put a razor blade on top of it, and then push the razor blade into the electrical tape, Look, and spin it around, <laughs> so that way we could get one, you know, one eighth little nice lines for the board and stuff. It yeah. was, it, you know, because you didn't, you didn't have the uh, same type of Amazon delivery that you have now, mm-hmm. it was just becoming a thing. Anyway, I bought, I bought a bunch of one eighth inch tape from Amazon and I went in to this big operations board that was just everywhere. Yeah. And I started measuring and divvying <laughs> and cutting it all up. Not even talking to my gunnies, by the way. I'm just doing this as a staff sergeant to keep track of people because yeah. I was done with it. And I put up what we used to use in the, like in the infantry stuff all the time. And then I brought all of my guys over and I said, we're using this. Here's your names. You check here, there, wherever as well as a comment. And they went, oh, okay, I can do that. And that thing was still there when I left. It was, yeah. That was funny. <laughs> a structure, right? Building some structure. Oh, I got to, man. I, I, so um, I don't know if I told you this, but in my last, uh, last couple of years in the Marine Corps, I was actually diagnosed as ADHD. So, right. um, you so yeah. No, I, did, I did not know that. Yeah, so I, I am ADHD. It is all over the place. It is noticeable um that explains a lot (laughs) yeah yeah, it wouldn't surprise me but you know my affinity for coffee apparently i was self-regulating you know with the the stimulants and things like that and or at least attempting to um but point being it's why i needed processes just to because otherwise i was out the window and i couldn't remember anything and keep any because it's just this cloud you know this constant cloud so i think that's where some of my project management you know, when I was working with you, even later on, a lot of the project management is there just to keep me set straight because I will constantly forget oh, yeah. things. No, yeah, I, 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 I have to do things like that, too, because um, I've been diagnosed with a sleep disorder and some of the medications that they treat me with also treat are treated, use it to treat ADHD. So mm-hmm. the stimulant type. Um, so same thing, like even because like, it has a reverse effect on me than what it does for you. So mm-hmm. it puts me into what you get, what you, or what you lose out of that. Right. So like what you get is control and settle down. So I get mm-hmm. the reverse effect. Right. So now I have to 100% be structured and, and lay out everything and have it set and kind of planned out in a certain manner and yeah. written down in a certain way. So I can remember where things are and what, what yeah. still needs to be done. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, we both have tons of experiences and some are the same, some are different. Um, what, what kind of advice would you give somebody based off of all of your experiences? Um, whether it be just in the military, since you've been out of the military, um, in your different roles, what kind of advice would you give somebody that is coming out of the, of, of the military or even has just transitioned and looking for that next chapter after the next chapter? that wants to expand or continue their role in it and or cybersecurity. So one, if you haven't already build a professional network, I understand OPSEC is a thing in the military, but let's be honest. uh, All my personal information was lost when OPM was hacked. Uh, 
and then you know t-mobile was hacked and then like i can keep going down yeah whatever you want like i can keep i've lost my personal information so many times over but opm i mean that was my social that was everything so don't worry about opsec and what i mean by that is get on linkedin be a part of a community build your network and don't worry about oh, I don't want them to know I work for this unit. Unless it's classified that you work for that unit, why? Why do you care? It, the, the, all unit structures are available on Wikipedia. You know, Don't put in the mission names. Don't do that stuff. Be honest with yourself, though, and just be like, hey, I'm getting out. I was an information security analyst or engineer or you know, incident responder or whatever, you know, um, orients towards your job roles and your job stuff. Again, I'm not saying, please take back the, you know, ignore OPSEC, don't ignore OPSEC, but be reasonable about it. Don't, don't, don't be just such a, you know, no digital footprint whatsoever. And I will be, I have a reasonable digital footprint, but what I, what I like to encourage people to do is have a professional brand. This is who I am. This is who I'm presenting to the world. I'm only doing so for job possibilities and engagement in a professional setting and that's it. Don't put your, you know, don't put your home address on your resume. Don't put your person. I don't even like to put my phone number on my stuff. I provide an email address. You want to contact me, contact me through the email address because I can block people. Um, If you want to, if you want to contact me, contact me, like I said previously, sec IT guy on socials. Cause I, you know, I'm, I'm okay at keeping those accounts an arm's distance away from myself. And interacting in a professional manner and having, you know, the P's and Q's whenever I get on those things to talk to people. Um, Having said that, so build your network to have an idea of where you wanted to go, what you want to do. Um, It's extremely difficult and and challenging as somebody that mentors and helps with career advice when I hear, how do I get into cybersecurity? Cybersecurity is like saying, I want to be a doctor or I want to be a lawyer. It is a much more nuanced field and it requires a little bit of research to understand what the different aspects are. You can be an engineer, you can be defensive, or you can be an attacker. To put it really simply, you can be one of those three things. Figure out what you like to do because each of those jobs are significantly different. If you like to build and you, you're familiar with IT, then you, you know go into engineering. You at least have some experience in there and start there and then branch your way out. Once you get your foot in the door, it's very, it becomes a web really of what your opportunities and possibilities are. You can very easily go from IT engineer, do some self-study and some certifications to penetration tester. That is definitely a career path that exists. Um, but the, the problematic part though, is that the jobs are significantly different enough that if you don't know what you want to do, you can't train towards what your goal is. So I say those are the two biggest thing, use your professional networks, know where you want to go. Uh, you definitely, I mean, I shouldn't have to tell you guys this. You have your education op- opportunities, use them. Uh, I don't mean just go to university. You can also go get, there's plenty of veteran certification programs out there, but it goes back to knowing what you want to do. If you know what you want to do, then you're not trying to do every certification on the side. You have yeah. to pinpoint what you want to learn to. Okay. Um, so do you have any recommendations? Like you went back to talk about getting certifications or some certifications that you would recommend um, at least for starting out, like, obviously I'm not going to tell somebody to go get their CISSP right off the yeah. bat that doesn't know anything mm-hmm. information security wise. Right. Um, or I'm not going to say like, so what would you say? A good, a good kind of a starter so, baseline. I am 
this is a hard conversation because I am extremely opposed to 8570 because I don't, <laughs> I don't, I do not like 8570. And to state my bias, I any, we also have certification paths as well. And I am directly involved in um, the upkeep and improvement of those certifications. So just want to state my bias right off the back. All right. This is, I 1000% have something to gain here. Point being though, is that I feel like because 85 standard, 8570 has standardized certifications down to this, you know, you must have this, you must have that, you must have this. Having said that, if you want to get a job in the national capital region, go get your CEH and sec plus. <laughs> I hate saying that, <laughs> but if you want, if you want a job in the national capital region, go do that, be 8570 compliant, and you'll be able to step into a contract pretty easy. Uh, realistically though, um, I'm building some stuff over at INE on, on the eLearn security platform uh, at INE for certifications. Uh, we have, if you've never done penetration testing before, I highly recommend you do EJPT, also known as PTS or the penetration testing student. One, the training is free. Two, the certification only costs $200. Three, it will let you get your hands on and throw some exploits for the first time in your life. Outside of that, I would never recommend SANS unless somebody else is paying for it just because like it costs, it, it's as expensive as a used car. Like there is, you know, it, and while I'm, and that's not to hate on the content. I've taken SANS courses. They are good content, but they are just so expensive. You might as well go back to a university. Regarding university, you don't need a degree to get into this field. You don't, but you do need a little bit of, you need to immerse, immerse yourself in your spare time in the culture. So that way you understand and can talk what cybersecurity is, what technology is, things like that. So I would take a look um, if you're interested in technology. David Bombal has, um, I, is a highly recommended source on YouTube for plenty of different topics. Uh, Neil Bridges with Cyber Insecurity, which another disclaimer, I do work and volunteer for that group, but I highly recommend them as well because we focus on cybersecurity technology personally. And if you'd like to come talk to me more, I every uh, Friday on cyber insecurity, I run a um, stream called Tipsy Cyber, where we have a drink, we sit down, we talk about the cybersecurity news of the week, as well as introduce a new topic tonight. I'm going to be talking about uh, the meta, the uh, what what is the metaverse that Facebook is talking about and Microsoft is signing up for. What is VR? What is a what is AR? All these different concepts of within the workspace and how does this, you know, what is the technology as it emerges? Uh, last week I went over NFTs. What are they? How do they work? And what are some considerations to be had with them? And how are they making so much money and why are they a big talking point now? Right. They're just pretty pictures. And I publish these up on YouTube on my own uh, link is my own channel, which if you go to uh sec IT guy, um, either on Twitter or LinkedIn, I've, I have my link tree and you can find my YouTube there as well. I'll make sure we have add that into the closing section of the show notes when, when we publish, publish the episode. Yeah, we'll put all that stuff in there. All right. So is there anything else that you, as Jack Reedy, want to share with the audience or just talk about? Yeah, real quick. I do want to mention one thing that is particularly close to me. Um, and I appreciate the time and the, the levity you've given me for all this because I know I've just basically long in the jaw. I do. It's okay. This, I, I enjoyed it, man. That's good. And we need, we need to catch up more and frequently, man. It's been too long. Yes, we, but, yes, we um, do. So what I do want to say, though, and this goes out to, you know, knowing the veteran audience that's here is um, don't be afraid to call somebody. Don't be afraid to talk, talk to somebody. 
uh, you are important and the civilian world is the one that is messed up. It isn't you. And what I really want to say here is I want to highly, highly, highly encourage and remind you guys that I've had my own issues. We all have just because we're not in your unit anymore. doesn't mean we don't care. And I do mean talk and reach out to anybody. And that includes even civilians. They might not get it, but if you just ask somebody to listen to you, okay. Uh, Veterans day just passed Marine Corps birthday just passed. And I will tell you that a year goes by that I still don't mark the death of about around three or four friends. And I'm really tired of that. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of, you know, hearing that, uh, you know, and it can be anything too. It doesn't just have to be your own life. It could be acting reckless. It can be driving a motorcycle in a severe, you know, severely disregarding way. If you're having problems, if you're acting wild, if you just need somebody to listen, grab somebody, anybody, talk to, go into a group on Facebook and say, hey, I need help just take the first step because we can't sit next to you unfortunately anymore so take the first step yourself and know that we are all there too separating transitioning it will be one of the most difficult things you do because when you get into the military it is a slip and slide of a path that is purely set out for you and you will do these things and you're scared to death otherwise because you always have a ucmj hanging over your head Versus when you get out, you are left to your own accord. The VA is there as an opportunity, but you still have to self-refer. You still have to go in and tell them that something's up. So with that, don't be afraid. I, to this day, to this day, I still have nights where I just stare at a wall because I can't get to sleep. Something, you know, something got on my mind that day. And whether or not, and whether or not that, you know, it's my PTSD or whether or not it's just like, you know, I mean, Afghanistan was hard on me too. Like I watched all of that go down. You and I were there. I know that probably wasn't great. And it's just those nights, those days, sometimes you need to step away from work before you tell somebody to, you know, and be done with it. It's one of those things where we get it. Just take the time, take the patience and call somebody and vent your feelings and your frustrations and talk because we love you all. We want you all to thrive. If we can help in any way with that, even if it's just listen, we want to help. Jack, I'm glad you brought that up, man, because I made a post recently um, on my Facebook and on my LinkedIn, kind of saying the same thing, right? It, make it normal. We have to talk about it. Yeah. Right? Having issues is normal. It's okay. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Exactly. But, and, and, and I definitely know personally that it's easier said than done, right. To come to, to come to that mindset to where you're, where, where you're okay with it. And then it's normal now. Um, oh, I, I, mean, I will, I, you know, to be, to help with the conversation, I'll be honest. I have been my, uh, my uncle slash brother, who's only, you know, eight years older than me um, from my mom, from my wife's side of the family. He is active duty um, full-time in the national guard up here. And there have been times where I, I brought a 12 pack for him, a 12 pack for me. I've been like, we're drinking and we're talking tonight. And yeah. that's what's, that's, what's going to happen. I, I'm sorry, I, but I need you. And, you know, the, the night might end, you know, in a bro hug and some tears, but I'm still here. Yeah. You know, and it was, it was a, uh, was it a good night? Nope. But it's one I won't forget. And yeah. I'm still here. I'll definitely say that. There's, there's too many of us that are no longer here. And a lot of times it's, 
because they they try to deal with it on their own and, and they try mm-hmm. to hide it the best that they can and yep it, yep if you and if you hide it for too long it's it's going to come out and it's going to it's come cancerous. out it is it's going to come out and it's going to explode yeah right? it's a cancerous um, mental it, it, it's and, and it's i know i know and the thing is too is that I, you know i feel like our time in in the infantry we we lived it we we you know tougher mentality get you know get tough we gotta this that and the other but the thing is is that now the the work guys the work has been done where we're on the other side of it now it's time to breathe yeah no, I say, and, and i say guys unisex you know unisex there just everyone it's it's time yeah. to breathe. and and i will say that's definitely one thing i i stress now as a leader like i don't necessarily have marines that work directly with me but i influence a ton of marines that i get to work yeah. with um especially now the younger generation like that's one thing that i try to stress is is because like us growing up nobody talked about their feelings if you said that you thought you had a problem you got a stigma put against you and everybody looked at you like you were no longer like capable of providing to the mission right yep um i I tell the marines now i'm like hey look if you got problems like talk to somebody let somebody know it's okay talk Mm -hmm. about them because that's the only way that you're ever going to get through them right yep um i'm actually thinking about after the first year after I, I finished my transition out and stuff like that, I think I'm going to, I want to branch off to a special episode each month that I cover nothing but mental health and veteran suicide. I think like that's, I think that is great. Yeah. There's not a lot of things out there or a lot of organizations out there that are doing it publicly. Right. Mm-hmm. Like as in, I mean, there are organizations out there that do help. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there's no, no one out there. Yeah. Um, but trying to get it more on a, on a public platform to where it can reach as many people as possible um, to hope if it helps one person, that's yes. all I care about. Right. I agree. If it helps one person. That's, that's what really matters is if it helps one person. Um, yeah. And I've even said that about the, like my show in its original perspective, like what it's built for is if, if it helps one person, if some if one person listens to this show and says, man, I didn't think about that. And it helps them. Mm-hmm. get in like progress their career or, or whatever like that's what matters like that's that's why I, I i started this show that's why i'm doing what i'm doing dealing with your own battles and and, and learning how to overcome them this that's what's kind of shifted me and want to do that as well over the last few years I had to come across some battles and, and overcome some myself right and yeah i mean, did I, you- I, I, I didn't do it alone because you can't you can't do it alone well, right. I mean, you've even been there for some of mine too. I mean, yeah. I know you remember my divorce. That wasn't yeah, pretty. No, I absolutely do. And, I, and that's, we got to be here for each other. You, you, you yeah. can't fight alone. You have to fight it as a team. Right? Exactly. You have to. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And with that too, I mean, there's even a branch off here too, because we have another factor, which is cybersecurity, burnout. It's real. Oh, yeah. Oh, it, oh, it absolutely is. Cybersecurity burnout is a real, real thing. We could have an entire episode just on, on that alone. Exactly, because right? because cybersecurity burnout can can leads into could lead into mental health issues, right? Depending on exactly. what what you're in charge of or what you're around and like what you're dealing with, 100 could. Because I'll tell you right now, man, like the more I got into the cybersecurity side of our job, mm-hmm. um, it opened my eyes up to what's really out there and what could happen. Well, yep. it makes me a little paranoid. Like you yeah, know what I mean? So. <laughs> well, I I so I like because I mean uh, prior, you know. NSA badge or that whole yeah, yeah. training and aspects and stuff like that. I show up here to New York and people are just like, you, you, you know, you've got shifty eyes. What's up with you? And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, 
here's a little bit of my background. Yeah. Here's a little bit of what I did in the military. Yeah. I'm not paranoid. I am reasonably aware. Yeah. Yeah. My wife gets on to me all the time because um, I'm always looking around when we're driving. Right. Even mm-hmm. if I'm driving, I'm always looking around. Yeah. Guess what? I'm aware. I, I, I may not be able to remember street names, but I by God will be able to get you there by landmarks because I could I see everything. <laughs> yeah. 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 And uh, and again, yeah, it's it's you know, it's a um reasonable concern because all you people forget that like we were professionally shot at for a couple of years. That was our job. Yeah. Like that was that was our job. People like yeah. we would go into the places where people wanted to kill us and we would help others do their job. Yeah. So, you know, we we are professionally and reasonably aware of our surroundings at all times. We're not paranoid because we've so seen the worst there's a difference. People. There's a difference between paranoid and aware. Yeah, we well, we've also seen the worst in people, unfortunately. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know? And that, so, that definitely shifts, shifts the mentality too. But no, man, I, dude, Jack, thank you for coming on the show, man. Like I, I, I greatly appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk, um, not just about professional development and in, in your experiences and and, uh, and IT and cybersecurity, but also just in general, man, like bringing up the whole mental health piece at the end, man. Like I, I greatly appreciate that, man. And, and it's definitely been an honor to know you and to be able to work with you in the capacity that we did, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thanks again for the opportunity to come and talk to the audience. Um, as, as I always say, I, I really do hope that I'm always a, you know, value added to the conversation. I, I really try to be, um, and I really enjoy, you know, trying to keep in mind all aspects because, everyone's got a point of view in life and I just want to be part of it and hear the story. And with that too, please, uh, you know, sorry, shameless plug, but come see me, uh, sec it guy, um, S E C I T G U Y. I do cybersecurity news. I do uh, basically, I consider myself to be a cybersecurity personality. I really enjoy talking about this, this field. I do have a passion for it and I want to share it with you. So, you know, come, come find me and say hi. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'll make sure and add all your stuff into the closing section of the notes, man. Have, have sure. all your stuff on there for um, all your little plugs and the little shows that you're a part of. All right. And Appreciate a little plug. It. I'll even put a little plug in there for your guys' education program. How about that? Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, I got it. All right, man. Jack, again, I appreciate it, dude. All right. Talk That's to good. you later. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you again, everyone, for listening to another episode of The Bunkhouse. All of Jack's information will be in the closing section of the show notes. So if you want to look into him, follow him or anything like that, you can find it there. Also, if you want to reach out to the show, you can email us at thebunkhousecast at outlook.com or follow us on Twitter with the handle of BunkhouseCast. Also, we're on Facebook and Reddit. Those links will also be in the closing section of the show notes. I really hope you guys took something from this one and take it forward either Use it for yourself or pass it on to somebody else. And as always, be the light in someone's dark. Have a good one.